to Down City Cash Chicago. Coming up, everybody in my neighborhood knew who Muhammad Ali was. I mean, growing up in the late 90s, we were still reciting float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Ah, rumble, young man, rumble. But what I was completely ignorant to was Ali's history right here in Chicago. Chicago is key to his development. I don't know if you have Muhammad Ali if he doesn't come visit Chicago. A new PBS documentary about Ali's life premieres this Sunday. So I sit down with Ali biographer Jonathan Ig. It's Thursday, September 16th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Muhammad Ali was an activist who fought to move America in a certain way. I have too much to fight for, calls to fight for. There was going to be an enormous price to pay for that. Boxing was this much of his evolution. The person he is today is way bigger. The price of freedom comes high. I have paid, but I am free. The name Muhammad Ali is known around the world. Ali was a champion boxer from Louisville who later refused to fight in Vietnam and was banned three years from boxing for it. Ali was a civil rights activist. He was a cultural icon. He has been celebrated, revered, and reviled on a global stage. But Chicago is integral to Ali's life. It's here he was first introduced to the Nation of Islam and its leader, Elijah Muhammad. Jonathan Ig's biography, Ali, A Life, came out back in 2017, but his involvement with the Ken Burns documentary starts years before that. When I started working on the Ali book, I knew Ken and his daughter, Sarah, and I started just telling them about this stuff I was finding about Ali, stuff that, that uh, they didn't really know. And I, you know, I was finding new material. I was talking to cool people. I said, you know, I've got interviews with uh, Louis Farrakhan. I've got interviews with Ali's brother, with his wives. You know, um, we could get in the door with these folks now and film them. Um, you know, they're not going to live forever. I'm already talking to them. Maybe you want to make an Ali documentary. And uh, <laughs> I was like, this sounds like the most humble way of saying that this documentary was partly my idea. I was like, you're doing, <laughs> doing a great job. Thank you. That. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I was really pleased to see that they said in an interview with the New York Times that this was my idea because I didn't want to I didn't want to be the one to go bragging about that. <laughs> but, you know, Ali, if Ali teaches us anything, it's that it's OK to brag. Hey, real talk. I mean, for me coming up, there was when we talked about Ali there was that sense of like black self-confidence. It was, you know, not only did he go around, you know, talking about the greatest, not only is he credited as one of the like unknown godfathers of hip hop, but there was something radical about somebody who just said, look at me, I'm amazing. You know I'm amazing. And so, yeah, I, I feel what you mean. If, you, if you're going to write about Ali, you're going to learn more about Ali. Picking up on some of that swagger, um, <laughs> maybe isn't isn't a terrible thing. When did you start to think that you wanted to be the person to write a Ali biography? Because, I mean, Ali is like Michael Jackson, which is like Michael Jordan. There's so many books written on them. What made you want to enter into that conversation and to contribute to the narrative of Ali? Well, you talk about swagger. You talk about um, 
confidence, I was kind of scared at first. Like, could I really be the guy to write the best Ali biography, the big one? Because it hadn't been done yet. That's the thing that really shocked me. There were a hundred books about Ali. And by the time I thought about it, it had been 50 years since he became the heavyweight champ, 50 years since he became a Muslim, 50 years since he uh, broke with Malcolm X and sided with Elijah Muhammad, 50 years since he was banned from boxing for refusing to fight in Vietnam. That's enough time to put it in some historical perspective. As you look through the different facets of Ali, you look through those other books that had been written, was there something in particular about Ali that you thought was missing from his story? I thought something was missing. And I it goes back a little bit to what you said. You know, for a black man in 1964 to say, I am the greatest, at a time when black people were being told by society, by the government, by everybody that they were second-class citizens. So, you know, He's growing up at a time, he's the same age as Emmett Till, where you know what happens if you talk back to power. He's grown up at a time where he can't use the the, the, the bathroom in, in the department store downtown where, where everybody shops. What allows him at that time, growing up the way he did, to feel like he can get away with calling himself the greatest and to challenge that racism that permeates society? Uh, that was a question that I felt really needed to be answered, especially today in 2021. Right now, we're seeing a renaissance of athletes sort of speaking up for the causes that are important to them, from Colin Kaepernick kneeling to people like uh, Le- LeBron James, the uh, Maya Moore from the WNBA, Megan Rapinoe. Like, you see athletes being more vocal than ever when we talk about social issues. How important of a figure is Ali to this current crop of athletes and activism? For a long time, you heard white society saying, just do your job, right? Uh, Joe Lewis was expected to behave a certain way that, that white society expected him to behave. He wasn't allowed to be photographed around white women. Uh, he wasn't allowed to raise his arms in victory. He had to be a humble champion because if you knocked out a white man, you better be humble about it. And Ali said, forget that, you know, I, I'm going to do it my way. And one of the really st- astonishing things, you know, something I never really thought about is Dick Gregory said to me, what made it different was that Ali had access to the media in a way that couldn't be filtered. Martin Luther King had his speeches edited by white newspaper writers and newspaper editors. They decided which quotes to use. Malcolm X was edited by the TV news. um, But Muhammad Ali, after a fight, could go on live television and speak to the nation and say whatever he wanted. And nobody could edit him because he was not filtered. Boxing ability, speed, whooping him on points for the distance if necessary. Then I'll whoop it. Well, fight in your home territory. You couldn't be any happier the way this is coming up in September. Why would you call Africa my home territory? You've been telling me that for 10 years. That's right. And if you come over there talking like that, we'll cook you. And you see athletes today realizing the same thing, that they have a kind of a power and it's up to them whether they decide to use it. And you see them using it now more than ever. And I think Ali is, is clearly the godfather of that. When I think about Ali, one of the first things that I think about is that confidence. And coming up, one of the last things I would have ever thought to think about was Chicago. Because growing up, I didn't realize that Ali had a real connection to Chicago, not only through the amateur boxing tournament, the Golden Glove, but then he spent time here in the 70s as well. Can you talk about that Chicago connection? Chicago is key to his development. I don't know if you have Muhammad Ali 
if he doesn't come visit Chicago. If he doesn't come here exactly. as an amateur boxer. He might still be Cassius Clay. Yeah. If he doesn't come here as an amateur boxer and see people on the streets wearing bow ties and selling copies of Muhammad Speaks, and if he doesn't buy this record and bring it home to Louisville, this record called The White Man's Heaven is the Black Man's Hell by, by Louis X, who was now Louis Farrakhan. Um, if he doesn't have that exposure, because you're not going to get that in Louisville, he's got to travel. He's got to come to the North where, where black people have a little bit more bravado. If he doesn't get a chance to see that, thanks to his boxing career, I'm not sure he ever discovers this other world, this other way of thinking. And that's really the key to his liberation in a lot of ways. And then, you know, Chicago continues to play a really important role in his life. He he comes to visit Elijah Muhammad frequently. There's the um, University of Islam here that that where he meets his his future wife, his second wife, Belinda, who um was whose family was were longtime members of the Nation of Islam. And then he moves here once he marries Belinda and lives here for a really um you know, some of the most interesting years of his life, the, the 10 years in which he's the heavyweight champ, he's banned from boxing, he returns to boxing, all of that, you know, his home is Chicago for all of that. Yeah, you talked about him building a family here in Chicago in his second marriage. What was that relationship with her and the children like as he was living in Chicago? It was complicated. They had four kids together, and Ali was not a faithful husband. The marriage was was complicated and difficult for the children. They ended up really being raised by the grandparents um, who lived, uh, I think, in Blue Island um, on the, the far south side. And um, they got to know their dad later after he after his career in boxing ended. The family life was always very complicated for Ali. What is it like to tell that story and pay attention to the complicated aspects of his life? Because it's not a secret that Ali was, you know, a serial cheater, that he had a complicated relationship with his his spouses, his children, you know, what is it like to to speak about a figure as exalted as Ali, but to also discuss the not so glamorous parts of their life? It's hard emotionally for me. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be the objective biographer and I have no feelings involved in this and I have to tell the, the truth uh, no matter where it leads me. But that's painful. You know, he was a hero of mine. And even more personally, I'm getting to know his children and I'm getting to know his wives and I'm trying to tell their stories in the most sensitive and understanding way that I can. And in some cases, they're becoming friends of mine. You know, this book took me more than four years to write, so these become relationships for me. And yet I know that it's going to be painful for them to read it because it's not all pretty. And they're going to see stories in there that other people tell that they wish maybe they didn't have to hear. So I feel really torn between the, the, you know, the duty to, to tell the story right and the duty to not hurt the feelings of these people who inv- are involved with me in telling the, in writing the book. Once I found out that Ali had roots in Chicago and somebody pointed out to me his home over in Kenwood, I've probably taken dozens of pictures of his former home to this point, and it is a beautiful estate. It's pushed back off of the Great Black Gate. It's got that amazing driveway. Again, I've taken some fantastic pictures. Can you talk to me a little bit more? Besides the Nation of Islam, what are some of the other parts of Chicago that Ali is particularly connected to? Well, you know, he lived in the South Shore first when he first got married. He bought a house, I think it was on 85th, and a fairly modest home, and that's where he lived during the years of exile when he's out of boxing. And, you know, his wife went back to school to learn some uh, some some secretarial skills, and he would drive her to the loop every day. Then he moved up to Kenwood, as you said, uh, in a house right across the street from Elijah Muhammad. And um, big, beautiful house, had an elevator in it. Uh, his wife told me he never took the stairs, <laughs> no matter what. He was going to use that elevator, because how cool is it to have an elevator in your house? Um, maybe not the best for staying in shape, but... Uh, 
He would he would actually take his limousine down to the park and then jog around the park because he didn't want to have to jog to the park. You know that was more work. So training became um, a little bit more of a struggle for him as he got uh, a little older and a little more successful. He liked the Harold's uh, fried chicken near his house. Um, he was a, he was Chicago, you know he definitely got to know Chicago. He definitely became a Chicago guy in a lot of ways. Is there a story or a scene from the documentary that you that has really stuck with you? Yeah, there's this one moment. It's really, it's just an academic um, talking guy named Sherman Jackson, who's a who's a, a Muslim scholar, and he says that when Ali protested the Vietnam War, when he when he joined the Nation of Islam, when he said, "I won't go to Vietnam and uh, I'm not going to go over there and, and kill a bunch of dark skinned people when my country still doesn't treat dark skinned people right," um, and he was willing to sacrifice his career for that when he when he said, "I won't I won't do it no matter what you do to me." He gave us all a definition of what it means to stand up for principles, something that instantly clicks in our brains when, when, we have, when we face a decision between doing what's right and doing what's easy. And that gift that Ali gave us, that, that crystal clear example of what courage looks like, is something that will, you know, outlive us all. And that really, uh, he says it way better than I do. Uh, but why, when you watch the film, I hope you're as moved by that as I was. For Chicagoans who may just be learning this history, why do you think it's extraordinary and important for them to see Ali, not only as this great global figure, but also as this significant part of our Chicago history? I think because Ali started confronting us with these issues more than 50 years ago. And we are still wrestling with them right here on the streets of our city, all over the streets of our country. We are dealing with what it means to define people by race, what it means to treat people as second-class citizens. And Ali was calling us out on this, you know, in the 19, early 1960s and saying, we don't have to take it. We don't have to accept the status quo. And he's still speaking to us in that way. Mm. Again, Jonathan Igg is the author of Ali, A Life, and a contributor to the Kim Burns four-part documentary series, Muhammad Ali. Jonathan, thank you for joining us on CityCast Chicago. Thanks. Love talking to you. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Pedro Martinez has officially been named the new CEO of Chicago Public Schools. Martinez is the former superintendent of San Antonio schools, and he worked in CPS from 2003 to 2009. He is also a graduate of Benito Juarez High School in Pilsen. Martinez will be the first Latino named CEO of the district. And some good news to get you through. For my uptown neighbors, tonight is Argyle Night Music. You can head over to Argyle between Kenmore and Sheridan for outdoor dining and live music. Tonight at 7 is none other than my main man, Sam Trump. If you're new to CityCast, Sam makes our theme music and is an amazing musician. For more Chicago stories and events, sign up for our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Yeah, I was like, somebody getting down on a smoothie. There's a conspiracy. Oh, maybe that is my wife. Um, hang on. Uh, <laughs> Jen, are you making a smoothie? I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>